Good morning. Today is Monday, April 25th, 2022. This coming Wednesday night and Thursday is Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day. And there is an urgency that grows every year as fewer survivors are still with us to give us their first-hand experience of the Holocaust. And not only to give us their experience, but to simply be heroes that we honor and respect in person. That is becoming more and more difficult to do. And this story helps to express how we should rush to do so to those amazing survivors who are with us, thank God, and to have the privilege to be in the presence of such a hero and to give a bit of an insight in what we should feel in the presence of someone like this who survived the Holocaust. So this story was told by Isaac Stephen Hershkoff, who grew up in the 1950s in Washington Heights. Washington Heights is a neighborhood in the northern part of Manhattan. And at that time, and still is to a certain extent, but much more so at that time, was the enclave of the German Jewish community, Washington Heights. And when he grew up there, he remembers when he was maybe four or five years old, he asked his mother what seemed like an innocent, straightforward question. He asked her, Mommy, when do I get my number on my arm? Because he just grew up with all of the adults around him having a number tattooed on their arm. And he assumed that, you know, it was maybe at your bar mitzvah, maybe when you graduated from school, there's some, you know, rite of passage where everybody gets a number tattooed on their arm. All the adults around him, they would go away for the summer to a summer area where many people in their community went to. They all had tattoos on their arm. No one was embarrassed about it. No one tried to cover it up. It was a fact of life. So he just assumed at some point he too would have a tattoo number on his arm. Ironically, when he was growing up, there was also no Yom HaShoah. The commemoration that exists today of the Holocaust was not around then. And though the community in which he grew up, the Washington Heights community, was made up almost exclusively of families, children of survivors, there was no school assembly, there was no recognition of any type of the Holocaust. The word Shoah did not yet exist. The word Holocaust existed, but it was never used. 
when people would talk, adults would talk, they would talk about the war. And they would talk nostalgically about life before the war. And they never talked about what happened during the war. They spoke reverently about their parents and siblings who were lost in the war. But they never spoke of their spouses or children who perished. Because they all had new spouses and new children who didn't need to be reminded that they were, in a certain sense, replacements. He remembers that he was already past the age of bar mitzvah when he realized that both of his parents had been previously married to someone else and they both had children of course, who he never knew. He finally came to realize that not every adult was a survivor, as he thought when he was growing up. And when people would ask him, what is a survivor really like? He didn't know what to answer. There was, and I'm making up these names, there was a Mr. Silverberg who sat close to his family in the synagogue, who was very kind, always had a nice word for everyone. There was another gentleman, a neighbor, whose face was always in a scowl and always looked like he was about to be upset with someone. Now, years later... He became a psychiatrist, Dr. Hershkoff. And in retrospect, as a psychiatrist, he could understand those different characters and personalities. But who really defined what it meant to be a survivor? And he says he learned the answer from... Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, I've spoken of him to you many times before, was the greatest authority in Jewish law during his time. He passed away maybe 30, 35 years ago. He was not only the greatest authority in Jewish law. He was a renowned personality. He lived in the Lower East Side of New York, in Manhattan, Lower East Side. Renowned for not only his genius, but his kindness, his sensitivity, his humility. His works on Jewish law are followed to this day by hundreds of thousands of students and followers. And among so many, including myself, he is simply known as Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe, that's it. The great Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Now, Hershkoff says that the closest he ever got to Rav Moshe Feinstein 
was when he was in high school, he attended Yeshiva University High School, where his teacher was Dr. Moshe Tendler, Rev. Moshe's son-in-law. And of course, Rabbi Tendler would speak glowingly of his father-in-law, as would all the other teachers speak glowingly. So he was raised with this idea of Ramosha Feinstein, the greatest, the greatest scholar, the greatest leader that there was. And then he tells the following story. One summer, he says, he spent the summer with his aunt and uncle, in Ellenville, which is in the Catskills. As still happens today, but even more so then, people from Manhattan would go to the Catskills for the summer, and he spent some time with his aunt and uncle. Both of them were survivors themselves, and they, during the war, had served together as the doctor and the nurse in charge of the concentration camp infirmary. And they had managed to save the lives of innumerable inmates, Jews who were there in the concentration camp, including his mother and her sister. And after the war, his aunt and uncle set up a small medical practice in the Catskills, where Hershkoff discovered that summer they had one celebrity patient, Rav Moshe. His aunt happened to just mention to him, you know, tomorrow Rav Moshe has an appointment with us. Would you like to meet him? He was floored. He was overwhelmed. He didn't, his aunt and uncle had, were going to have the greatest scholar in the world coming to their little clinic. And he was invited. And he says, it was as if they said to me, would you like to come to a meeting with God? That's what it felt like. So, of course, he wanted to come. He didn't know what he was going to do. He couldn't sleep that night. First of all, what should he wear? Should he wear Shabbos clothes? Should he wear a suit? Should he wear normal clothes? Should he approach Rav Moshe? Should he speak to it? Should he say something? And if so, what should he say? Or maybe he should just be quiet? If he was going to speak to him, should he speak to him in English? Should he speak to him in Yiddish? He didn't know Yiddish so well. He, was, he could not sleep. He was so nervous about this, this meeting that was going to happen. The next day, he was at the appointment more than an hour before the appointment was called for. He's sitting in the waiting room. He's as nervous as can be. And eventually, Rav Moshe, with an, uh, uh, an attendant, with someone with him, came into the waiting room. He didn't notice this boy sitting there. Hershkoff had, had, had 
intended that as soon as Rav Moshe walked in, a great person walks into the room, the first thing you do is you stand up. He was going to stand up out of respect, but he was so nervous he couldn't get out of his seat. He just, he, he froze. He couldn't move. And he had prepared a couple of sentences that he was going to try to say, but his heart was beating so quickly. He was in the presence of this great man. He just, he, 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 he didn't stand. He didn't speak. He just, his aunt heard the chime of the door opening and she came out into the waiting room and she said, Rabbi Feinstein, good morning. Have you met my nephew, Mikey? <laughs> and she said to Rav Moshe, can you believe a Shagitz like me has a nephew that's such a fine religious boy? Okay, I don't want to comment on the words, but those are the words that she used. She spoke in a deprecating manner about herself, kind of making a joke and about her religious nephew who was there. He was mortified. <laughs> Just... And then it got worse because he saw his aunt start to walk towards Rav Moshe. Now, surely his aunt knew not to shake his hand that he did not shake hands with women. I mean, she had to have known that. And she did not shake his hand. She kissed him on the cheek. And then she said, I'm going back in. We'll see you in just a moment. At that point, Rav Moshe, he says, Sheinkoff says, turn to look at me. And he says, I wanted to die. <laughs> Just, so I, 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 in a panic, I walked over to him and I said, please, Rabbi Feinstein, I want to apologize. My aunt, she's not religious. She doesn't understand. She, please. <laughs> Rav Moshe immediately placed his fingers on my lips for me to be silent. And then he spoke very softly the following two sentences that Sheinkoff says, I will never forget until the day that I die. Ramosha said to this boy, she has numbers on her arm. She is holier than me. We need to try to find the privilege to be in the presence of those individuals 
who are holier than any of us. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.